this evening. And so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles first to 1 Kings. I did read this text last week. I do want to go over it again. I think it will be beneficial for us as we endeavor to look at the topic of pleading for wisdom and this persistently. 1 Kings chapter 3. I'll read verses 6 through 9. There's a bit more context than I even read last week. And then we'll turn to Proverbs 13, verse 4, and then Luke 11. All of these things, I hope, will form for us a pattern for how God would have us ask for this great gift of wisdom. So that when we move into the Proverbs in a systematic, expository way, we will be those who understand the treasure that is there. And we will ask, as we ought, through prayer, for God to give what he is willing to give. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. And Solomon said, well, let's look at verse 5. And Gibeon, or at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon responded, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, Because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil who is able to judge this great people of yours. And now, let's turn all the way over to the book of Proverbs, a book written by the very same man who asked God to give him wisdom. And this is what he says in this one verse, surrounded by many good verses, The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Remember that word diligence. And then Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he be given a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he be given a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we come in prayer pleading, asking, asking, asking over and over and over again, week in and week out, every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, and this just as a people together in corporate worship, not to mention all the other times we come before you and we ask, Lord, show us the way. How shall we live? What are we to believe? What am I to do? How am I to think or feel that you would reward your servants in their persistence and so that we in wisdom, as it comes, might be of great use in the work of the building of your kingdom, the blessing of our neighbors, the raising of our children, all of these tasks that you have given us to do that we might do it with joy for Christ's glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we come again to the idea of wisdom. Um, a couple of introductory sermons I think may be helpful as we get into the book of Proverbs. Uh, and so as we go there, I want us to think about this very thing. Years ago, uh, maybe this is the case for you, uh, there are certain books that when reading them, they sort of transformed your life. One of those books was a book written by John Piper called The Legacy of Sovereign Joy. And it was about a little mini biography on Martin Luther, John Calvin, and one of the other reformers, whose name I cannot remember at this time. But I remember very well the vignette about the life of Martin Luther, namely Luther's prayer life. And how he would, prior to ever opening the scriptures, would seek the Lord's face in prayer that God might give him wisdom and understanding from his word. And Luther really hammered this idea. If you are to receive from God that which he alone can give, righteousness, wisdom, understanding, and all of this in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is wisdom made manifest among us, we must ask. We must ask. And when we have asked, we must ask again and again and again, much like the friend who comes at midnight. Now, this little parable here in verses 5 through 8 is about the friend asking. God is not a reluctant giver, but he is one who endeavors to show us and teach us how we are to ask. And this is no different as it relates to wisdom. So three points that I want to make in relationship to pleading or pleading for wisdom. Number one, nurtured to ask. Number two, persistence in wisdom. And number three, the work of the kingdom and its enemies. The work of the kingdom and its enemies. Let's look at this first one, nurtured to ask. Now, when God comes to Solomon in 1 Kings 3... And he appears to him in a dream. He offers him something. I covered this to some degree last week. And he comes to Solomon and he says, Ask me for anything and I will give it to you. And Solomon, prior to asking for wisdom, speaks as to why he will ask for the thing he is about to ask for. What has Solomon seen in the life of his father David? The faithfulness of God. 
the faithfulness of God to David according to his covenant, even to the point that Solomon is now king in the place of his father. God has been true to his word. And so when you open your eyes... And you look at what God is doing because you have a father who says, look at what God is doing. You learn to value that which is most valuable. This is Deuteronomy 6. When God says to the Israelites, in order to retain covenant faithfulness from one generation to the other, you must proclaim the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. And so one of the things, parents, that we do is not just catechism. We reflect upon through the stories of Scripture and the story of God's faithfulness even after Christ's resurrection and the New Testament age of the church, how God has been faithful to build a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And these are the kinds of stories you should tell. How God gives victory to his people. There are some wonderful pictures that seek to encapsulate God's faithfulness. There's one on my door in the education building. It's one of my favorites. And it's a picture with David holding the severed head of Goliath, just there for all to see. And I love it because the the tendons are hanging out of his neck or out of his head. And I'm going, this is what it means if you try to wage war against the church. God will, through his rightful king, bring an end to all their enemies. Now, I don't want to preach that passage. It would be easy to jump over there. But what that story tells us is how we are to look at the world. And that was Solomon's father. What stories do you think Solomon heard? So when it came time to the Lord asking Solomon, what do you want? Solomon says, I want to be like my father a little bit. I want to have the skill to rule well. And so when he says, I am but a child, Solomon isn't a child at that point. He's saying, I'm not up to the task. You need to give me what is needed to rule the people well. In fact, when we endeavor to choose our rulers, uh, one of the things that we ought to seek first is... Wisdom, And you may say, well, them slim pickings. Yes, you're right. And the reason why there seems to be no wisdom is because they are not going to the one who is able to give wisdom. They don't get it. And so Solomon asks, because he was nurtured to value that which is most valuable. If you're hungry, you ask for food. If you're sleepy or weary, you seek sleep. If you are desiring to be holy and wise, you go to the fount of wisdom. I think of the illustration of the little baby birds. They're there in the nest And when mom leaves, all they're doing is awaiting her arrival. And their necks are craned to the sky and their beaks are open. These little bald, blind things that cannot take care of themselves. And when mom comes back and she brings the food and she begins to feed them from her very mouth, that is when they are strengthened and nurtured. That is how they grow. We are to have a kind of position like that, a disposition waiting for God to feed us so that we might be strengthened. 
Now, it is something that only God can give, but God has revealed his wisdom in many places. In fact, even nature has examples of the wisdom of God, right? Go to the ant, you sluggard, and see how she works all day. There's no captain to tell her what to do, but she works hard. Go to the ant. There is much to be learned in creation. But those lessons are rightly interpreted through the book of Scripture. There is much to learn in the book of nature. Even Paul appeals to the book of nature in Romans chapter 1, where he talks about the immoral relationships that men and men are having with one another. And he's saying even nature confronts that kind of perversion. You can just look and see this isn't going to work. It is unwise. It is unrighteous. It does not bring forth fruit or life. And so wisdom is found in many places, but ultimately it cannot be grasped apart from the Holy Spirit working it in your heart. And so we have to ask. We have to, children, ask our parents. And do you know who they ask? They ask the Lord. And they take the wisdom that is given to them by God, and like a mother bird, they chew it up a little bit, and they feed you from it. Listen, listen. Kids, look at what I have learned in all the years I have lived on earth. Take it from me. I have seen. This is how Solomon often speaks in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs. But we must be nurtured to ask. And the best place where we are nurtured to ask is the place where God appears to be most beautiful. Not only in the sanctuary, especially in the sanctuary, but even in our homes. Solomon asked because he was nurtured. Parents, are you nurtured? Do you nurture? Secondly, persistence in wisdom. Persistence in wisdom. Persistence in the pursuit of any good thing is good, including wisdom. Persistence in anything requires a goal, a goal in which the pursuer is focused not only upon the objective, but they rightly understand how to get to that objective. Uh, There's a gentleman that I follow uh, or watch some videos on YouTube every once in a while, and he is a a guitar aficionado. He is an expert. And there was a video that he released a while back. It was about five minutes long, and in that video... He shows the progress of the first day he picked up the guitar to the seventh year of his playing. And it is incredible to watch the progress. And in five minutes, you get seven years of condensed progress, of learning, of practice. Now, here is the problem. It took him seven years And he's not done. This was several years ago he released this. And in another seven, can you imagine the proficiency with which he might play? The skill with which he moves his fingers and forms chords and plays beautiful music? And I look at it and I'm going, this five-minute video is going on a little long. (laughs) This is how we live. It is difficult in this day and age where we are told we don't have to wait for anything. In fact, there is a a drug being pushed right now in bus stops in New York where you can get an injection. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Be wary of untested uh, injections. 
I don't mean anything by that. But it's supposed to melt the fat off your body. It's weight loss in a needle. Here is the problem. Even if it is effective, it does not change your character and the discipline that is required to do what is needed to actually care for your body. Is there such a a syringe as it relates to holiness? Don't worry, guys. We're going to come up with it. We've been cooking it up in the lab in our session meetings. A one-time injection of holiness. And when you inject this into your body, you will suddenly not sin anymore. That's not how sanctification works. It is the regular mortification of those desires that are contrary to God's word. Now, you may laugh, but how many of us have grown impatient? Even Paul asks as it relates to a conflict within the church. I've asked the Lord several times to remove this thorn from my flesh, and he says, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul persisted, and yet the answer was no. As it relates to the pursuit of wisdom, God expects us to stay on the rock until it lends its jewel, just like the man asking for bread. And it is because he says... Go away. And he keeps coming and he says, fine, here's the bread. And he is able to take the bread and go to his family or his guests and feed them. And then from that, Jesus moves to this important principle. Ask, seek, knock. And because you have a good father in heaven, he will give you something good. This is the pattern of the way that God teaches us. In fact, when Adam was put into the garden, he was put there at first as a man alone with the creatures. And it was after a season of doing scientific ordering, ordering creation, that he came to this conclusion. There is no one out there like me. And at that time that he was in a state of teachability of being soft and having a need, God said, here is the gift of the woman. And then when he looks at the woman, he says, this is it. She is the one. Persistence is important. It also demands a redeemed and eternal perspective. In Proverbs chapter 24, We read verse 16, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumbles in times of calamity. God is training us, even in our failures, to go to him for help. And so, dear saints, you need to be persistent. And even when that persistence does not seem to pay off, you rise again. You do it again. I guess my point is this. There are no lazy, wise, or righteous persons. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he is speaking to those who are in captivity. And he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Why? Because you have asked. You have sought salvation from me. Dear saints, God desires persistence from us in the seeking of salvation in the seeking of those things that come from him alone, and in the pursuit of wisdom. And this is what the writer of Proverbs means. The soul of the diligent shall be made rich. There is no get-wise scheme or get-wise-quick scheme. It requires persistence. And then lastly, wisdom and the enemies of it. Now, we must know... We must know that in our pursuit of wisdom and what it provides for us and for our benefit to others in the kingdom, is as I said this morning, we begin to paint a target on our backs. It is the commanders in the military who are always the first targets for snipers. Why? To sow discord and a lack of morale among soldiers. They're the ones who give orders. And if you can stop the one who gives orders... You can stop the troops. In the same way, Satan sought to bring low the church by killing their Redeemer, and it backfired. It was a trap, and he was caught and has been caught ever since. We must know our weakness if we are to fight. That is, the pursuit of wisdom is not one of those things where you just walk into a library and you sit quietly and you get to study. Mothers, right? All of these things you have planned throughout the day and you have these little ones underfoot and you would say, I would love to pursue wisdom, but I can't get a moment. A moment to myself. A moment even to listen to an audiobook on wisdom. <laughs> or the Bible for that matter. Husbands, listen. Help your wives in this. And it is the true, it's true not only for mothers and children. It's not only for those who work outside the home. Uh, there are many distractions. And in fact... Those distractions have become immeasurable and immense in the world in which we live today. In fact, the very same thing that you have your Bible app on has a hundred other things that would distract you from actually opening and reading that particular app. The Bible. Let's see who else is reading the Bible. Let me go to my Instagram. Oh, do you know what I mean? It's so easy to be carried away by those things. And oftentimes we are told, even within the church, that if you don't feel it, it's not sincere. This is what my father always said to me. Duty precedes affection, and then affection born from duty accomplished or observed precedes delight. Sometimes, as one elder said to me, you have to fake it to make it. Now, what I don't mean by that is um, obedience to the law of God merely out of duty. But you do not get to say no to the good things of God because you don't feel like it, whether it's the dishes or it is fighting away temptation. In fact, Satan often comes to us and the temptations that are felt are when we are at our most vulnerable, when we are tired, when we are in conflict with our spouses or our friends or our family members and we hear that siren call to satisfy the flesh. 
That is lady folly. You remember what Odysseus did? You remember what he said to his sailors? When you begin to hear the siren song, tie me to the mast. Why? Because he needed help not to steer the ship right to the rocks. He understood, he understood the value not only of, well, the danger of what the rocks presented, but also the value of discipline and at times um, lashing yourself to the mast. We must know our weaknesses if we are to fight them, and we must seek wisdom, and the enemy of wisdom is what? Well, it is folly, but there are many routes to folly's house, right? Wide is the gate and the path that leads to it. What are some common current enemies then of diligence and persistence in wisdom? Well, the first enemy is just sloth, which is why Solomon says, go to the ant, you sluggard. We have proverbs like the grasshopper and the ant in many of those fables. In 2 Thessalonians 3, we read, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul would have something to say about the system even now in which we live where you can receive a stipend from someone who cares nothing for the work that you are doing. What does that promote in others? Well, watching a lot of daytime television. A lot of wasted time. But sloth is not only doing nothing. Sloth is also busybody. Busybodies aren't idle They're getting nothing done while looking very busy. Maybe they're talking. Maybe they're just sort of moving in such a way that other people think they're busy and they're actually accomplishing nothing. They seem to want to appear to be productive, but at the end, and you look at what they have to show for their lives, they have nothing to show for them. Sloth, therefore, is not only doing nothing, It is not doing those things which God has commanded unto his glory. Sometimes the enemy is amusement. The siren song of the screen. Lost in a world that is not real. A world that does not ask anything and gives you nothing in return. It's a world that can only steal. Fake work, virtual objectives distract us and discourage us from real work. Now, I'm not saying that there are not parables that can teach us. But we often go from looking and learning, right, food, for instance. A little bit is good. Too much is gluttony. We often do this with entertainment. As Neil Postman said, we are amusing ourselves to death. We get involved in fake wars and fake work. And when real war and real work come calling, we are powerless or cowardly to do that which is needed. Not only that, but the danger of entitlement. You will never work for that which you think others should bring to you. Entitlement is the exact opposite of laboring in humility and gratitude. Giving thanks that God has given you opportunity to labor for that which is able to make others happy and to bring them joy. There are many enemies... And what we find actually happening in Solomon 
is this very progress. At the beginning of his rule, he asked for wisdom. And then what do we see happening in the life of even wise Solomon? The creeping in of sloth, entitlement, of immorality. Now later he experiences reform, and it is in that time of reform that he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And he has much to say, having lived quite a life. But lastly, as it relates to this third point of wisdom in her enemies, there are also friends. Persistence in wisdom demands teachers and shepherds. Parents, those of you who are mature or more mature in the faith than others, you are guides as far as God considers you. Paul says in a number of places, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul is not perfect But what Paul is endeavoring to do is walk in holiness. He's looking at Christ and says, that is the pattern. I will follow that pattern. And then he looks at those who are younger in the faith, less mature, and he says, you watch me watching him, and we'll do this together. This is how we learn. Our learning is imitational. It is incarnational. And we need teachers. Sometimes it's an ant. Right? I look at the joy in my Doberman when I come home from work and I think, I haven't had that kind of pure, exhilarating joy in a long time (laughs) to see a family member. I learned something from her. She sits on command. Children, you see? (laughs) She eats all her dinner. Go to the Doberman, you waster of food. Do you see? We all need a teacher. To show us the clearest path to laboring and diligence. Parents, how many of your teenagers said, well, I know that that didn't work out for you, but I'm going to try it because I think it will work out for me. And you go, oh my goodness. Come on, are you serious? And then sometime later, maybe you're given that opportunity. See, I told you so. But you just are rejoicing because God has brought them to an understanding Sometimes your teacher is the one who does it poorly. Sometimes sometimes it is the one who is peerless in their piety and wisdom. I get this example all the time when I'm at Presbytery and I spend time with these pastors and I look at them and go, what men of faith, the kinds of men that God has blessed me to know. What I should do is not just say, man, what would it do for me? If I'm seen with them, that's often how we think of our friendships. But rather, what can this man, what can I learn from him? What can he show me? How do I walk like that? And what do you do? You observe and you say, will you teach me? Your best teachers are those who have gone before you, who have shown the ability to stay the course. Dear saints, we need teachers. And though David was not as wise as Solomon, we might gather from when we look at the text, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon made lots of mistakes. But Solomon looked at his father, and what he saw was a man who bore witness to the covenant faithfulness of God. Ultimately, the wisest teachers are those who show us the covenant faithfulness of God, the value, the beauty, the glory of the one who can give us what we need. And so I end with this. If you lack wisdom, 
ask the Lord. If you lack wisdom, ask, and he will give you not a scorpion, not a serpent. He will give you wisdom. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask even now that we might seek after that which you alone are able to give. Forgive us, Lord, for two things, not seeking or longing for the wisdom that comes from above, and, Lord, for being impatient with you in your work to bring about in us a harvest of righteousness. It will come with time, and it will come. For all who seek shall find it. For those who ask, it will be given to them. For you are a God who loves to give good gifts to your children. And so we come to you tonight and we ask these things in your name. Amen.